Hey, what's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Talking in Bits. But before we actually get to the show, I wanted to remind you guys that Talking in Bits is completely 100% audience funded. What that basically means is, is that you will never have to sit through no ads while you're listening to Talking in Bits. And the only way we can continue to do that and have been able to do that is with contributions and donations with great listeners such as yourself. So in order to keep that spirit alive, there's a few ways that you can actually donate to the show. My favorite way is podcasting 2.0 apps. There's a bunch of them out there, but my two favorite are Fountain App and Breeze. And with these apps, it's basically like any other podcasting app. You can subscribe to Talking in Bits. Um, you can load up some sats into the wallet and you can set how many sats per minute you think Talking in Bits is worth or how much value you're receiving from Talking in Bits. You can do this from both of those apps. Another really cool feature in, the, in these apps, these podcast 2.0 apps, is the boost feature. And what the boost feature is, is basically you get to pick a certain amount of sets that you want to send in and you can embed a message inside of that transaction into the show. And what I'm going to do is week to week, the best ones that come in, I'm going to read them and give shout outs here live on the show. So that's another way that you can help keep this ad free um, and keep this content rolling. Uh, if you're not using the podcast 2.0 apps, then you can head on over to talkingandbits.com backslash donate. And there you'll find various links to be able to send in Lightning, to be able to send on-chain, and even to Paynim. So go check out the, the website. That's another way to contribute. And if you're listening to us on the legacy outlets like YouTube, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, then you could do the good old-fashioned leave a review, share, subscribe. All that stuff helps and helps us float up higher so more people can get this value and more people can get everything that we want to provide to our listeners. So once again, we appreciate you. The only reason we've been able to keep this up is because of y'all, and we want to keep that going for as long as we can. All right, without further ado, on to this week's episode. I also made the case for winning Bitcoin, the quintessence of scarcity premium. Scarcity premium. It's literally the only large tradable asset in the world that has a known fixed maximum supply by its design. The total quantity of Bitcoins cannot exceed 21 million. Bitcoin is the hardest money that has ever been invented. If you don't have my private key, you cannot spend my Bitcoin, period. And this is the power of Bitcoin. It's the first time we figured out how to create true property that you can take possession of with full custodial rights. What's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Talking in Bits, where we walk you through Bitcoin bit by bit so we can provide you with the information you need to succeed and persist. Back where episode 69, where we're going to go completely different here. So as you guys know, this is usually a Bitcoin show. But, you know, when we think about Bitcoin, we think about sovereign money. We think about sovereign individuals. We think about just being sovereign overall. So I had this idea to basically start bringing on guests that are not necessarily Bitcoin related, but they're sovereign related. And the first person that I had in mind is, is Zoe here, who, who I've actually talked to on my previous show a year ago. Zoe, how's it going, brother? How you doing? I'm doing well, man. It's good to be on. Yeah, man. I appreciate you. Um, like I just told the listeners, um, you know, I, I, you know, Bitcoiners love to be sovereign. Bitcoiners like to talk about sovereignty. And there's no, you know, the, the, there's no bigger realm than just being self-sovereign in your defense. Um, and, and that's where you come in, good sir. And our last conversation was just, you know, not only very knowledgeable for me, but I, I think the listeners will get a lot from from your your knowledge. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I'm I'm not uh, super Bitcoin savvy. You know, I dabble a little bit myself, but you know, I think in in terms of what you just said is a uh, 
being sovereign, it's about big part of its self-reliance. Um, you know, it, it, whether it's our own currency, whether it's cryptocurrency, whether it's barter and trade, it's the ability for us to maintain our lifestyle and our, our well-being and to care for those around us that we care about without having to necessarily rely on others. And I think that's something that's lost in just in society today as a whole, you know, we've gotten so accustomed to living in uh, safe environments uh, with uh, services we can count on and those kinds of things that when we get hit by, you know, things that still happen today that we hear about, it's a natural disaster or a uh, supply chain disruption or something like that. And then all of a sudden shelves are flying bare and things are going on and you got a little bit of chaos, maybe some civil unrest. And all of a sudden you realize again that, yeah, I mean, these emergency services are nice and having these extra things all around us uh, that we can, that we use day to day are pretty cool and all. But at the end of the day, we're on our own, at least until things get back to, quote unquote, normal. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I think most of the times that um, I speak for myself, but I think the most of the time when people bump into um, that oh shit situation is, first of all, when it comes, that's one. But the second point is when they realize that they can't do shit about it themselves, right? Like they're kind of like asked out into the corner. Um, and, and that's that's a scary feeling, right? And, and so like you were saying, self-reliance on bigger entities like, you know, these services and then much higher up like the government. Um, it never really seems to work out, at, in, you know, in, in the end when, when shit finally comes to hit the fan. Um, those services actually work against you in certain situations and in certain stories. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's layers, right? Um, you, you know, we look at lessons we should have learned from things like Katrina, uh, you know, from uh, the uh, peaceful protests over the last couple of years that we've seen out there from the lockdowns, from the supply chain issues. And the reality is, is it, until services are restored, until things are back to normal and what we expect, we are completely on our own um you know i think even here in texas if you remember a couple of years ago we had the snowmageddon where we got hit by a deep freeze that just completely disrupted our our uh, natural gas supply chain uh you know people were freezing roads were completely frozen over emergency emergency services couldn't get to things and you know in those moments you're trying to figure out how to stay warm how to eat uh you know i personally had a uh incident at home where we had a uh almost a medical emergency we, we had a kid who uh gone between the cold and things that were going on got a little bit dehydrated passed out and hit head hard on the concrete and we had to deal with how to you know get the kid into a safe environment assess uh how you know how severe the, the situation was was it a medical emergency what we we're going to do about that and thankfully it wasn't too crazy and we had done enough to be uh, prepared and self-reliant at least for a short period of time uh, to be able to get through it um, and it's not necessarily about doing it yourself and and you know being the lone wolf and going completely solo uh, you know we had friends that we relied on we had neighbors that we relied on uh, but the minute that emergency hits even though you know maybe your your uh first lifeline that you reach for is your neighbor well your neighbors across the street they have their own stuff going on they may not be able to come to you right away or heck they may not be home maybe they bailed out and they're somewhere else so it's it's fine to have these layers of support that we have around us but it starts with 
yourself, right? If you can't, to a certain extent, be, uh, be able to take care of yourself, well, how can you expect to help take care of others? You know, whether the, again, whether that's your immediate family, whether that's your neighbors, whether that's your friends, whether that's your community, whether that's your uh, city, your county, your state, you, know, you can go further out as far as the different layers that we have uh, to participate in and to rely on to, to a certain extent. Now, and like, where do you think that first for a person who, who just li- literally just heard what you said and it's like, holy shit, I wouldn't be prepared for that situation. Does it begin, in your opinion, at a, a, a neighborhood level or is it more like, you know, the city that you're in, the state? Like, wh- where does this, you know, this attitude of uh, of sovereignty and almost even libertarian, if you want to put it at that, is that, you know, a uh, an effect of living in the right state, the right neighborhood, the right city or all the above? Uh, you know, honestly, I'm going to go a little bit further down and say it starts with self, right? Uh, having that mindset, understanding the reality of things, understanding that, uh, dangers are real, you know, stuff happens, whether that that's, uh, an electrical fire that happened in your house or whether, you know, you slipped and fell or, uh, whether it's the middle of the night and you've got a home invasion to deal with or, and it doesn't even have to be at home. You know, you could be, uh, out at the grocery store, um, it could be, it can happen any place, anywhere, right? So, so the first thing to, to that you have to come to terms with, regardless of where you live and the influences in, that you have around you and who you can rely on, it comes down to what am I going to do in these situations? Mm-hmm. Um, and to a certain extent, it's part of growing up and coming to terms with you have to take care of yourself, you have to be responsible, and you are accountable for, for what it is that you do. So, you know, <laughs> and Part of it, I guess, is a lost art in, in many ways, you know, but like, you know, the concept of saving money, you know, we're not, not even getting into cryptocurrency, but just being able to have uh, not having to live paycheck to paycheck because a very common emergency that people run into is many times throughout their life is you get laid off. Yeah. Right now, now you got, uh, you may have debts like the majority of, of, of uh, Americans and adults do today that you've got to pay. And even if you don't have those debts, you may need to acquire some goods, you know, such as gasoline, uh, maybe a fresh set of clothes to go to that next job interview. Right. And those are contingencies that you put in place. And it starts with the, the, the mindset of things are going to happen. There are some things that, that are, are uh, more likely to occur and the things that could occur have a different impact you know they can be very mild and annoying uh to catastrophic um there, there's actually a, a study on this that, that we do in many different uh industries which is just risk analysis right and the reality is that their life is full of risks um and some are more likely to uh become a reality and so you've got to have uh mitigations and plans uh, in place to reduce the likelihood of that risk becoming a reality. And you've also got contingency plans that need to be put into place to deal with that risk when it becomes a reality. Um, and again, it's with something as simple as saving money for those situations where you have a temporary or permanent loss of income. You know, sometimes you, you can't uh, deal with that. It's, it's as simple as realizing you are going to uh, get hurt. And so having a uh, first aid kit handy and, and, you know, you know me, I talk about guns all the time. Right. But yeah, not a lot of people have been in a gunfight and the likelihood of being in a gunfight is really, really low. The likelihood of needing a gun for a self-defense situation is relatively low as well, but the likelihood of you needing a bandaid is pretty darn high. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah. uh, or, or, or beyond that, it, it doesn't have to be just, just a bandaid, but you know, like for me, uh, part of what I put in my pocket every day when I go out and not in a backpack, I'm talking in a pocket next to me is a personal trauma kit, you know, something that I can stop the bleed, uh, a major bleed that could be a life-threatening type of uh, situation that could happen from being in a car accident, slipping and falling outside, a uh, couple dumb kids or, or punks decide to throw rocks at you or decide to play the knockout game or something like that. And you get, and you get hurt or somebody, you know, or it could be a neighbor, it could be a total stranger uh, gets hurt. They're bleeding out. You've got tools on you to help deal with that emergency and potentially save a life, whether that's yourself, your, your own or somebody else's. So it's, it's starts there with the mentality. Uh, from there, it's expanding that to your immediate circles, right? Your, your inner circles, whether that's your friends and your family and building that support system and getting them involved with it. And it doesn't have to be about thinking it's the end of the world. You know, it's starting with the simple things, man. You know, the, like I said, the first aid kit, the saving a little extra money, the uh, stashing away a little, a little Bitcoin, whether it's for investments or for in some sort of emergency banking system goes down, total collapse. I don't know. Th- things can happen, but having a little bit um, of something there to help you get through that. Uh, and, you know, for me, like I said, the big thing is, is firearms. I'm big into self-defense. I'm, I'm bi- big into uh, being the master of your own fate per se. Right. And I don't, don't want to be at the, at the whim or the mercy of an attacker who's trying to rob me or who's trying to uh, rape me. I mean, I, Think crazier things have happened in this world. Um, I want to have the tools and the means and the capacity to in that, should that moment present itself to have options to say, no, man, I don't think so. Yeah. No, you're going to keep going. Okay. Let me, uh, let me uh, forcefully change your mind. Yeah, that's that's huge, especially in the, in the Bitcoin community. Cause you know, a lot of the examples you were given were obviously um, to, to be prepared for a situation um, but slightly different than that is to avoid anybody ex- exerting power over you, right? So in a bigger yeah. scheme of things, we talk about, you know, if we're talking about governments, then to avoid the tyranny, right? To be able to say no to certain things and say, well, wait a minute, that it's not your rules, it's my rule. And, and that's a little bit something that, although I do agree with you on, you know, preparing for injury or, you know, for a, a situation where you got to defend yourself, I'm also... You know, I, I'm very focused on the like what 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 people would say not being rug pulled, right? Where it's like, yeah. you know, you, you basically fall asleep at the wheel, and then similar to what's going on, and we can get into it right away. But what's going on with all these shootings that are going on, um, and, and the public media, um, a lot of people, including myself, are under the impression that this is just a a, a coup, right? This is just an attempt to basically uh, weaken the, the 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 society to take away our guns. Right. And and that's a situation where although there's tragic things that are happening and there's obviously, you know, children and people being hurt, we need to kind of step back a little bit and understand that if we kind of um, bend the knee in this situation, then it, it could lead to disastrous results for us as human beings. What's your take oh, on sure. that? Whole well, I mean, you're spot on. Um, I was having a discussion the other day with, with a friend who... Uh, um, thinks very differently than I do on a lot of these topics. Right. And, you know, we, in one of the arguments that was made is, well, we, we need more reasonable, responsible controls. You know, maybe it is okay to give up, uh, uh, 
the the AR-15s that they're going after right now, um, and you know, because that could potentially save a life. And it's like, whoa, 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 slow down. But let's let's talk about what this means, right? And, and one of the the suggestions that came in there was was a uh, you know we have a registration and we have licensing and mandatory training. And I'm like, look, first of all, and this goes straight into sovereignty is maybe today we have a relatively uh what's what i'm looking for here benevolent government um i don't think so but let's assume for argument's sake that it is uh and they have no ill intention they believe that by tracking these things they'll be able to better track down uh crimes and that by having these rules in place it'll be harder for uh criminals or would-be criminals to get their hands on these particular tools and we've got this registry to kind of help with that. Um, and again, I'll argue all day long till I'm blue in the face that that's not going to have the effect that they're looking for. But again, for argument's sake, let's assume benevolent government and that registration type scheme would actually make things safer. Um, that's cool. That's today. But as we know, administrations change, uh, new leadership comes in, uh, and maybe it's not the next administration. Maybe it's not the second one after that. Maybe it's, 10, 25 years down the line, there's no guarantee that there would be a political mindset change where now they're saying, well, you know what? We changed our minds. Uh, we really don't want anybody to have any guns. And now they're sitting on a list where they want to take them. Or let's just say they've gone from uh, benevolent to nefarious. And now they want to go and round up all the people who have or had previously firearms because they tend to have a, a political ideology or something that they no longer want, they no longer want to tolerate and kill them, round them up, put them in yeah. a camp. I don't know, whatever it is, right? You've given that in information there. Well, you've lost a little bit of that sovereignty because they know who those people are. You know, you've given them a tool that may not be misused today. It may have been uh, provided in good faith today, but is now misused in the future. Right. So th that to me is, is places where we talk about, let's talk about what we're giving up if we're mm. going to do these things. Not today. Let's not think short term. Let's think long term. Because if we go back and we look through history, well, guess what? That's exactly what I'm just suggesting that would never happen here. And I'm saying that in quotes because it has happened on a smaller scale. Again, I'll use Katrina as an example there that people tend to forget about. Uh, you know, guns were being confiscated. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we look at it today and it's, you've given up a little piece of your sovereignty. You've given up a little bit of your security uh, for whatever measures there um, because you've now given this information to other people. And the same yeah. thing goes with, with the the, uh, the AR-15 and just weapons that, that they're uh, potentially looking to ban is, you know, if that happens and those things do get registered, do get rounded up, uh, bought back, which again, I'm government didn't own them they're not really buying it back they're buying it for the first time uh, they're also buying it by force they're because it's not necessarily all of them are willfully for sale uh which yeah. is another topic there uh but you've lowered the capacity for the common man uh to forcefully say no to the government when they decide to be nefarious or step over uh those limits right because you no longer have those arms um yeah, you've yeah, shown to do that. that. Yeah, I mean, historically, that that's happened many, many, many times, right? And for us to believe that this time will be different is 
again, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing, expecting <laughs> a different result. Uh, right. But it's crazy. And, you know, the the shootings that we've had, they're tragic. Um, yeah. But at the same time, you know, and, you know, talking about hypotheticals, you know, well, you know, had I been there at the school present with an AR-15 and my kid was in there and I, that the, uh, the uh, mass murder happened to cross my path, yeah, I would have lit him up. Um, yeah. Not because it's my responsibility or my duty to do that, but because I want to keep my kids safe. And I would have done that with an AR-15. Like, well, if you wouldn't have had an AR-15 and you wouldn't have had an AR-15, then it would have been potentially different. But maybe. But frankly, if the, if the uh, mass murderers in there beating kids' heads in with a baseball bat, I still want an AR-15. Because yeah. it is a, a much, much more effective tool for me able to neutralize that threat as quickly as possible. And I don't want that to be a fair match. I want it to be as lopsided in my favor than it is the other person's. Uh, yeah. What is it about the, uh, what is it specifically um, that, that, that is the AR-15? Why do they continue to target the AR-15? And that's like the most commonly broader point. Like, why isn't it just handguns in general, right? You know, I, I, I wish I had a good answer for that. I've, I've got a lot of uh, speculation as to why it is, yeah. uh, specifically the AR-15. Um, the best answer i can come up with is it is and i'll be the first to know when we talk about it it's a fighting rifle by its design it was designed to to uh, carry an intermediate rifle cartridge which is a, a, a low recoiling uh low weight fast moving projectile that is designed to penetrate fleshy bits very effectively and threats down i mean that that's that's we can get into the cartridge design and that's not necessarily what that cartridge is for but it's very very capable of it uh, but when you look at the ar-15 as, as a weapons platform it's a lightweight rifle it doesn't recoil very much can be customized for many different applications from shooting uh close core uh type situations and engagements to uh longer distances and because it is such a mild recoiling rifle and so configurable it is easy to learn um, and once you develop proficiency with it, it is a, a, a very uh, capable tool, right? So if I was to look at it again nefariously, if I was trying to disarm uh, the population, I would probably be targeting that type of rifle as well too because while the population can certainly be dangerous with other weapons, uh, that is a weapon that is, is widely available, like I said, easy to use, easy to learn, uh, that you can teach people how to fight very effectively with very quickly. Um, yeah, that's my guess. Yeah, it makes um, sense. I mean, like, in, like in this hypothetical uh, scenario where you know the people revolt against their government, um, and you, you know, the, the the civilians are now building up this these militias, right, to go against. Like, yeah, you you don't want the militia to have this very effective tool to be able to fight back. Is that kind yeah. of like TLDR? That, that's that's exactly it, right? It's 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 an effective tool <laughs> it's, it's, it's very effective at fighting at fighting you know that's that's why it's been so popular well I, the military version of it is, is is different it's got its select fire features and uh but for the most part you know it, it's the same operation you charge it the same way it's the same magazines uh, everything except the the uh, internal uh firing control group that allows for select fire burst fire uh the giggle switch is uh it's identical it's a good fighting weapon right 
Uh, the giggle switch is the safety selector on the AR-15. For okay. civilians, we only get two options. We get the safety mode, yeah. which once it's unsafe, you pull the trigger and nothing happens because everything's locked into place. Or you switch it to fire where you pull the trigger once and a round is discharged and a projectile uh, um, leaves the front of the barrel. And then in the military, you can go to the auto or burst fire mode, which flip it again. And now when you pull the trigger down and hold it down, it continues to fire until you let go of the trigger. Mm. Uh, so it's a, a term, an ende- term of endearment that we have in, in the uh, gun culture. We call it the giggle switch because when you go full auto, it makes you giggle. Um, or the fun switch, that's another one for it. Um, just different terms for it. But yeah, when I say giggle switch, that's what I'm talking about. It's the, the selector on the uh, rifle that allows it to go from no fire to semi-automatic function to full automatic function. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Now, another thing that, that I think, especially listeners to the show that may be on the, uh, either on the fence or, or just don't understand the gun community, uh, although all of this that you're saying sounds uh, extremely dangerous and in the wrong hands, it, it could be obviously it could be extremely dangerous. I find that the gun community is one of the safest communities that I've ever been a part of. Uh, please speak a little I, I bit about that. I mean, the, the just about every single gun owner that I've met, they take safety very seriously. They value life. They, they understand what these uh, weapons are capable of and call them what they are, uh, you know, when uh, you know for me I, I wear a pistol every single day uh i go outside with it i go to the grocery store in fact i'm wearing a pistol right now when i wake up in the morning it's one of the first things that goes on me and it doesn't come off my, my hip until i go to bed uh and you know when i'm out there the reality is in my belt in the holster that's attached to my belt i have a weapon that i could use to basically hold the power of life or death over anybody it's, it's it that that is when you said it was a dangerous tool, yeah, it is. It's designed to be that way. Uh, but, you know, when we talk about gun culture as a whole is we have these things primarily because, well, when we're responsible with them, we're careful with them. Uh, we, uh, anytime that we bring anybody in to, to say, hey, I want to learn how to shoot, you will hear every single person, first things first, safety, 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 safety. You know, we've got four rules that we kind of live and die by. Probably shouldn't say that that we live by, <laughs> um, but you know it, it's it's all about that. It's about community. It's about the protection of life. Um, it, it's a it's about uh, uh, strength and unity. And they, it's it's a wonderful group of people. It really is. Um, you know, we have a lot of fun with it, but we respect the weapon for what it is. You know, we know what it's capable of, and we treat it with the due respect and safety and responsibility that that goes along with it um there's a, a saying that, that i've caught myself saying more and more as uh folks are getting into uh uh carrying a defensive weapon on them like i do and the reality is is you are responsible for every single bang and accountable for every hit um hmm. whether you hit what you intended to or not and or whether or not you meant for that thing to go bang right i, I don't care if it was accidental if it was negligent or whatever whatever the case might be you're responsible for every single time that firearm is discharged and you're responsible for whatever that projectile hits uh accountable for it and that's the mentality that 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 uh, that we go by so yes very yeah. safe community um, a lot of fun uh, with firearms. 
try not to get too much into that because I know that's not necessarily the main topic that we're talking about here today, but it's, it's, I spent a lot of time with it. It's a misconception that I want to address though, because, you know, it's one thing to take my word for, right? Just an an average, you know, gun owner, right? I'm not, uh, I guess what you would call an expert level. Uh, But something that even I, you know, like you just said, take extremely serious. I have children. Uh, you know, I'm around children. I also try to carry on me. Uh, not, not right when I get up like you do. That's actually impressive. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, I'm starting to build up that tolerance and that discipline, which is much more important. And, you know, I, I, I want listeners to take away a bunch from this episode, but definitely that aspect of it that although the, the mainstream media would want you to think that this is like, you know, people walking around nilly willy wild west style, just kind of just shooting up because you step on their toe or anything like that. That's not reality. That's not actually that's what's no. happening out here. It, it, it certainly isn't. And, you know, you, you mentioned a lot of good things there too. It's, it's the, the first thing, you know, that this community is about is about information and knowledge, right? We demystify the weapon, you know, what, what is it? How does it work? How does it function? Uh, how do you safely operate it? Uh, how do you behave with it? You know, like I said, we've got four main rules that we harp on and harp on and harp on which, which is, you know, assuming um, there's variations of it, but it basically comes down to uh, treating every gun like it's loaded. Uh, never pointing at anything that you don't want that shouldn't be shot. Uh, never putting your finger on the trigger until you're actually ready to shoot. And you know, knowing what is uh, uh, between you, the target, and beyond, right? Because that's effectively where the bullet's going to go and what could potentially hit or where it's going to come to rest if it decides to go down there, right? So we we harp on those four rules all the time. Um, and you know, every time that I've been in a course or I've been uh, which I do, I, I take a lot of training, uh, or I've taught, uh, whether it's my neighbor or my kids, you know, I, I taught, I've taught them to, to shoot as soon as possible and teach them about firearms as quickly as possible for the same reasons, you know, it's, I want them to know what they, they are. I don't want them to think that, Oh, it's cool. Let's see what happens. And the curiosity killed the cat type of situation where you have, uh, um, accidental or negligent discharges of those firearms by kids on other kids. And, and you have, unintentional deaths which are just tragic right so it's a lot about educating them on on them understanding how to uh safely operate them how to safely handle them how to be safe with them like so we've got the four rules there uh, but how to safely put it into a holster pull it out of a holster when to point the weapon here when to put your finger on the trigger when to actually shoot when to not to shoot um when not to shoot is probably even more important than than when to shoot uh, as far as things that are caught, and it's a constant thing. We also talk about how to properly secure your firearms, whether it's in your home, uh, on your person, in a safe. There's different options for that. And being mindful that it's not just you who's going to be around them, but what's the foot traffic in your house look like? What, you know, the places where you're at, if you're going to secure your weapon in your vehicle, how do you do that uh, in such a way that you're, uh, Generally, it's something that, that I frown upon. You know, your car is not a holster. You don't want to leave it there. Uh, that's I can get into that topic a, a little bit more. But if you are going to, how can you actually do that in such a way that you minimize the chance of your firearm being stolen and ended up in the wrong hands? Uh, mm-hmm. How do you how do you uh, secure your firearm when you're transporting it? When you've got other passengers in your vehicle, and depending on your vehicle layout, whether it's going in your trunk, you know, do you put it in a case? Do you lock the case? Do you leave the ammunition with it? Do you separate it out? Some of these are legal concerns as well, too. Uh, that we have to be aware of so that, uh, and I harp on this all the time too, to, to new folks that are new to firearms to say, hey, make sure you know the laws, make sure you learn them because if we do something like um, 
in certain states, you cannot transport a loaded firearm in your vehicle. It has to be in its own case, separated from the ammunition. If it's you get pulled over for a traffic infraction and for some reason the police officer has probable cause to search your vehicle, they found that that weapon being transported in a manner that's not legal. Well, guess what? You just got caught riding dirty and you're going to catch a charge unintentionally when you didn't know you were doing anything wrong. Right. So mm-hmm. there's a lot that goes into this. Uh, and that, you know, when we talk about gun culture in the community, it's about knowing all of these things. It's about how to be a good human being, how to be safe with those things and how not to get yourself in trouble with them. Yeah, that that's extremely important, especially in our previous conversation, we talked a lot about Massachusetts and where I'm at now and just how, you know, really, really constricting it is like, you know, to, to be able to do the basics of the basics. Um, and I, you know, to be honest with you, need to get a little bit more versed. I know. I can conceal carry and still have it in the car. Uh, but I, I think to a certain, um, I'm probably saying this wrong, but a certain size of the weapon definitely needs to be in its own case. Like, like say you were walking around with a, with a 12 gauge. I think that definitely needs to be in the case in the trunk with no ammunition inside of it. Um, but you're right. I, yeah, I, I would be caught riding dirty if I was wrong on that example. And for doing something as simple as maybe just trying to defend myself and my, my loved ones, now I end up in jail. <laughs> and and right. that's a shit show. It is. It is. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, you know, making. I talked. I talked to you over the DMs, making the move down to Austin, and and just very. One of the first few things I want to do when I when I you know touch down is is basically that I want to get to uh, uh, around really good you know gun owners. Hopefully you uh, you know and others get to a good range and do it consistently because um, I actually got banned from the only gun range that's within an hour distance of me. And it wasn't because I was doing anything stupid. It, well, I guess according to them, it was stupid. It was because I was using buckshot with, with, with a 12 gauge, which to this day, I still can't get a legit answer as to why. Like there was no signs that were saying that I couldn't do this. Um, you know, they actually sell it there, which is even more mind boggling to me. But, you know, what I walked away with was is it's the fucking the, the rules of the state. It's just nonsense is why the fuck would that even happen? Yeah, no, th- there are. So it depends a lot on the range. Uh, is it an indoor range by chance? It is an indoor range. Yep. OK, so a lot of indoor ranges fr- uh, frown upon uh, that because they've got the the vast majority of them use the uh, you've got the firing line uh, and you've got a little control where you bring the target cl- uh, close to you the yep. hanger for the target, you unhook your target, you hang a new target on, then you hit the controls to move the target further out. So you've got these rail systems and cables that go along the top of the lines that go out there and the hangers themselves can actually be damaged. So with buckshot, you've got a spread um, of holes that you're, you're a spread of pellets that are going to make multiple holes on the target. And if you're not careful with them, you can damage the equipment that those targets ride on. Um, and so a lot of indoor ranges will, will, even though they'll sell you buckshot, will have a rule of say, Hey, if you're going to be shooting a shotgun, it's going to be slugs only because they want to make sure that you're controlled with the projectile going down range and you don't accidentally damage the equipment. Um, I've even been to some outdoor ranges where they have shotgun specific ranges and in the rifle ranges, they don't be doing that because even though they might not have the fancy targets that move mechanically up and down the line, you're probably what during a ceasefire people are going to go down range and put their targets on a target stand and see if they're you've got uh, pieces of wood that aren't necessarily expensive but if you're peppering them with uh 
buckshot, you're going to end up breaking those sticks all over the place. And that just carries a lot of uh, cost associated to maintaining those things. So it is there, but it is a shame that they weren't clear about the rules up front with you. Um, yeah. But it's, you know. <laughs> why, did, why did it take for you to give me that logic and not the actual like owner or the workers of the establishment? It's very strange. Because it well, actually does make sense. And I would have just been like, oh, okay, cool. Like I had no, like, yeah. there was no motive or, or anything that I needed to use buckshot. I could have easily just went slug. It just wasn't explained to me properly, and there was no signage anywhere. So yeah, I wanted to use buckshot, so I did. I mean, and, yeah. and that's what I had on me that day. So <laughs> very strange. Oh man, that's sexy. Yeah, but when you get out here, man, for sure, we'll definitely go shooting. Uh, we'll get you set up. With, we've got a bunch of really good gun clubs out here, um, and uh, you know, private ranges that you can join. Uh, there's, uh, we've got. I was talking with some friends because you know I shoot competitively, and pretty much every single weekend within a two-hour drive of Austin, there is a match somewhere where you can go shoot uh, nice. competitively. Which I strongly, strongly, strongly uh, urge gun owners to go out and shoot matches because you get to, to work on things and practice skills, shooting skills that you wouldn't be able to do at a public range where it's static and controlled uh, or. All, all those environments are controlled environments, but you're limited to what you can do because of the way that those ranges operate. Um, yeah. So there's so that. And then... In, oh, in competitive, you're like sticking and moving? Is that what you mean? Like I suppose yeah. to just standing there? Yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll circle back on that here in just a second. The other thing I was going to sure. mention is we've got a lot of really good uh, train trainers and training schools. So lots of good training out here uh, to get your hands on if you're going to be in the Austin area. And I'll, I'll get you introduced to that. So yeah, wh- when... Going back to competitive shooting, um, the the way that they're set up is, and there's a couple different style matches uh, that operate a little bit differently, but for the most part, you're going to go to a range that's going to have multiple bays, shooting bays set up where they set up a shooting stage. Uh, depending on the, the doctrine of the competition that you're uh, shooting in, you're basically going to have uh, a multitude of targets that you're going to engage either in a particular order or an order that you decide for yourself to be the fastest or most effective or tactical or however you want to phrase it. And you've got that whole bay to yourself uh, to shoot it as fast as you can and, and try to support top points. So on the signal, you're going to be getting your one is you're going to be pulling the gun out of your holster, which is something that you can't really do in a lot of uh, private ranges um, or the public ranges that you, you were, uh, describing here where you go and you rent a lane and you go shoot down they're not going to let you work from the holster you're going to be running around uh, obstacles and you're going to have uh walls and cover to deal with and you're going to have a combination of targets that you can shoot targets that you can't shoot um and target transitions moving using cover uh, shooting around corners, uh, shooting behind uh, barricades, and those kinds of things. Those are things that most people um, who don't have their own private ranges to go to and they take the time to set up those types of environments are just never going to practice. And mm-hmm. the favorite part for me for for the competitions is that every time that I go out to one of those on the weekend, there'll be you know five or more uh, stages that are set up. Is that they're all different. And every weekend, it's a new challenge with a new new configuration, something that I haven't done before, um, that you'll have to figure out and work through that, right? So it's it's more, it's not just aiming the gun, 
squeezing the trigger and trying to get the bullet right on the uh, on the on the bullseye. It's more of figuring out how you're going to move, uh, how to be fast about it, how to. You know, it's more problem solving and more yeah. thinking that's involved besides just shooting. Um, so and again, those are all wonderful skills to develop and it's a lot of fun to do. It, it'll ruin the uh, static public range for you because it's like, okay, well, yeah, I'm, for now for me, when I go to those ranges, it's kind of like, well, I'm either checking ammo, checking my sights, making sure things are sighted in. Um, not really a lot of drills that I can run there to, to, help me practice higher level skills. Um, yeah. Now, is there, uh, is there, um, basically like, uh, how do I put it? Is there a learning curve in that situation? Like I can't just walk into this competitive training, can I, or is sure, it something? Like, oh, okay. Uh, I'm asking. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to embarrass myself <laughs> <Yeah>. here either. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so the matches that I'm talking about, what we call tier one or, or level one or local level matches, right? These are, these are open to basically anybody who wants to shoot. Okay. Uh, you sign up for them, you show up, you pay your match fee, which is usually between 25 to $30, maybe a little bit less if you're a member of the club or not a member of the club. Yep. Um, and as long as you have the very basic equipment, which is a safe holster, a firearm, the appropriate amount of ammunition, ways to carry extra magazines with you if it's, if it's a match that's going to require magazine changes. Um, and you can uh, shoot safely, meaning, you know, the four basic rules of safety. Um, you can participate. And it's really awesome because when you're there and you tell them, hey, you know what, I'm brand new. I've never done this before. Walk me through it. Uh, they're going to walk you through, okay, well, here are some of the additional safety rules. You know, we'll talk about the 180 rule, which basically means your gun, as you move forward up and down the bay, uh, there's a a plane that moves with you that if you cross that plane, we call it the 180 plane, basically, if you turn more than, um, like, if you, you know, you stick your arms out left and right, that's kind of like the plane that goes with you. If you cross that, that's the 180 line, you get yep. disqualified because it's potentially unsafe because now the gun is paint, pointing uprange instead of downrange. Mm. Uh, but, you know, they'll, they'll walk you through what the procedure is. And, you know, for most, uh, even relatively novice shooters and people who have just started, I would say make sure you know how to, uh, the basics of the firearms, you know, what your, your, your basic rules, how to load the firearm, how to uh, unload the firearm, how to, uh, manipulate the safety, uh, you know, the basic operation. As long as you've got that down, you can go shoot one of these matches. And they will walk you through, you know, the rules of the game. And if you do go do that, and I, I don't care how good of a shooter you are or aren't, if you're new to a match, you're probably your first objective on your first match is to finish without getting disqualified. So in other words, oh. learn how to, how, to, how to, to complete a match safely. Once you get there, now we start going about okay. Let's get, let's get you to be a little bit more competitive, right? And, and and figure out things that we can do to tweak your gear to make you a little bit faster. What skills you need to work on and that kind of thing to make you a better, more competitive shooter. But no, it's it's, it's definitely open. Um, and like I said, when you get out of here, you give me a holler. Within the first month that you're here, I will take you out to one of those matches and I'll get you to shoot one of those. Oh man, looking forward to it already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I, I, you know, I not only did I think it was very stagnant, and I mean, I wouldn't say boring, but yeah, that just standing there in one lane thing—it's only so exciting for oh so long. Um, oh man, and, then and, and like, wait till yeah. you start getting into uh, uh, moving targets. 
It's yeah. so like we'll have these sets of targets that that'll be activated by a uh, we call them poppers, which is basically it's a, it's a steel target that's down on the ground that when you shoot it with, uh, you know, your nine millimeter or most people shoot nine millimeter. They're, they're, you do a couple different calibers there, but the steel will knock over and it'll have a cable attached to it that will pull a, a uh, locking mechanism on another target that'll have an, a weight that operates on it. So it'll cause the target to swing back and forth or to pop out from behind uh, cover and back into it. So you'll have disappearing targets, turning targets, swinging targets. And now you've got, you know, now you've got to deal with not just you moving in a position and shooting, uh, cardboard that's not moving but potentially targets that are moving as well too so it's it's a lot of fun yeah it's uh what i would what you would probably say the same it's is the closest thing to real life scenarios uh there's probably one that i would go further that's closer if, if you wanted to do that so for me the competitive shooting part um, helps you put your shooting skills to the test it doesn't necessarily make you more prepared for it, it does do a couple things to help you be prepared for a self-defense encounter. Uh, yep. The very first thing is that you're going to be, you're going to feel stress of competition, right? You're going to, you're going to be on a timer. You're going to be shooting for score. Uh, your peers and your friends are going to be observing you, right? And so just knowing that you're the center of attention because you've got a squad of uh, eight to 12 people, maybe more sitting there all looking at you perform. That's a lot of stress that you feel. So you're going to feel, an adrenaline dump and you're you're going to feel the excitement and you're going to choke a little and you might make a couple mistakes or shoot the wrong target. Or this happened to me a couple of times where you shot the same target uh, three or four times more than you were supposed to, right? You were supposed to engage it once. <laughs> I engaged that target four times um, because it messes with you. It messes with your ability to think. It messes with your ability to follow a plan. It messes with your ability to, to uh, keep your sights on the target and to shoot it well. Um, so that stress is definitely, it's part of, of, of what they call stress inoculation, meaning learning how to run a gun un, under stress, uh, which would, can, is definitely beneficial to do if you're ever in a life and death scenario because the stress levels will be high. Mm -hmm. uh, but there is one other thing that we can do to help us prepare for that that I think is probably more realistic or, or better preparation than competition, and that is attending force-on-force -force training. Force-on-force uh, -force training are classes that are designed uh, with uh, uh, simunitions, uh, which are special guns with special types of ammunition, mm -hmm. uh, where you run through uh, certain scenarios such as like home inv invasions or a uh, 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 convenience store robbery or a uh, uh, somebody going into a restaurant and decided to start shooting people and you know all those types of things that kind of help you Again, you're going to be under stress. Uh, you're actually potentially going to get shot at by these ammunition guns. And there's protective equipment, but they will hurt if you get hit. Uh, so that will teach you a lesson. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's it's about helping you develop the tactics uh, that you need to uh, primarily avoid the fight uh, to make sure that you, if you react, you react within uh, justified um, a justified level of force. Uh, you understand the, the legal ramifications of what's involved with it. Um, and you get the same type of pressure because you have students and peers who are observing you, looking at your decision-making process. Um, yeah, I did a force-on-force -force class about a year ago. I've got to double-check here. Um, and for me, it was one of the most eye-opening things that I could do uh, as a shooter to, to help me prepare for that because a lot of things that, that I, I was like, oh, yeah, in this situation, I would do this. 
Well, all yeah. of a sudden I found myself in that situation and I was like, oh crap, I acted completely differently than I thought I would have. And you get to analyze why and learn why. So you learn a lot about yourself in that process. Um, yeah. Uh, that sounds fascinating. But, I think about like a like a professional athlete, right? Where it's like yeah. you run you run the drill over and over again so that when it happens during the game time, you're ready. Yeah, but I, I think what force on force would be is uh, and I, it, it, the if you're talking about martial arts, it would be uh, sparring against your peer okay. environment, right? It's you, you're, you're fighting uh, within a certain rules, right? You're, you're not going to go to the ground. They're not going to punch you. They're not going to actually pull an actual knife and start stabbing you like you would in real life. You know, so it's not, it's not for real, yeah. uh, but it is that stressful environment because it's, it's that, it's that scrimmage game, right? It's, it's that thing where you're taking all the drills that you've learned, and all of the tactics that you've developed and you're putting them in a controlled environment to see how you would react and what that would be like. Um, and part of that is there's also the human factor. Um, so you'll have in that class, you'll have other assistant instructors who will play or sometimes other students who will play different roles, right? It'll be, it might be the attacker, uh, might be uh, a crazy person. And so you've got to take the context cues, understand what it is that you're dealing with um, and, you know, and some of the, the real, like, hey, we're getting way off sovereignty as a topic, <laughs> it's all good. This is cool stuff, man. Yeah. Um, so there's one scenario that I'm remembering here that, 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 uh, we did know as, as a home invasion scenario. Um, I'm home alone. I'm the homeowner. Uh, there's nobody else uh, uh, around and somebody's breaking in, just looking for stuff to take. Right. And yeah. I hear the, the, the hustling. Um, I get up uh, and in, in my head, I'd gone, okay, well, if this is going to happen. I'm going to barricade myself in the room. These are the tactics that I had developed. Right? I'm going to barricade myself in the room. I'm going to call 911 on the phone and put the phone down. And then I'm going to announce myself to uh, the invader, letting them know that they're, they're armed. And if they continue to proceed into the house and they come in where I'm at, that I'm, that they, that I am armed and I, and I will shoot. Right. Um, and, you know, I've gotten into discussions where folks who are like, well, no, you should go out of the room and you should face the attack. I'm like, well, I don't know if that person's armed. I don't know what that yeah. person's doing. I kind of have an idea of where they are in my house. And sure, I might have the advantage that I know the layout and whatnot, but I don't want to get in a gunfight. I value my <laughs> life, right? And I'm home alone. My kids aren't here. I don't have anybody else to protect. I'm, I'm going to do that. Well, in the stress of the situation, I started forgetting about the role that we were playing in the, the scenario that I was in. And then my concern about my kids of going to shit is in my plan was like, I was going to gather my family and barricade into a, into a room. So my own personal tactics came into play and I forgot about that. Actually, I didn't even call 911. I thought I did. I had a phone <laughs> in my hand, but I froze. And so my stress levels are high. I wasn't doing what I, what I had, uh, had in mind. I had my own personal tactics now kind of bleeding in with what the scenario was for the class. And so I run out of the room and I start unloading on the dude, um, it, which is legally justifiable. Uh, tactically, probably a bad idea. It turns out the dude was armed. And by the time that he went to go get his gun, I had already unloaded like, on him like three or four times. And the, and the, uh, the uh, instructor called the scenario over. Yeah. Uh, it would have been legally justified, but I put myself in harm's way. Um, the turns out that the student... Uh, or the assistant instructor who played the bad guy had been instructed that if I basically threatened force that they would leave running because they were to assume that the, that, or to 
go into the scenario thinking that they were breaking into a house that they believed to be empty. So the minute that they learned that somebody else was present, they were supposed to bolt. And again, legally justified. But when you think about that in terms of what that scenario means, yeah, it could have saved me legal trouble. It would have kept me from potentially getting hurt because I'm going to put myself in danger. Um, it's just stuff. <laughs> Yeah. at the end of the day, right? And so so those are the things like when you get into these force and force types of classes that they really get you thinking beyond the, okay, dude broke into my house. What do you do? You shoot them. Uh, maybe, yeah, probably, but there's a lot more context that goes into that. And then also the things that we have to think about for ourselves is how much risk are we willing to put ourselves into for what? And I'm right. not going to tell anybody else a decision they got to make for themselves. If somebody says, Hey, you know what? No, I'm gonna, not going to let somebody steal my, my, my 70 inch TV. I'm going to go in there and if somebody's stealing my 70 inch TV, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, use lethal force. Okay. You know, castle doctrine, doctrine applies. Uh, it would be considered legally justified. Uh, but, you know, you're running into your living room to save a 70 inch TV and you don't know if this is a single dude who's armed who actually knows how to shoot or he's got three bodies behind you, one with a shotgun that's going to blow your head off. Is right. it really worth risking your life over a 70 inch TV? You decide yeah. for yourself, right? I'm not going to make that decision for you, but that's what these classes are about. Gotcha. And the answer is no, by the way, the TV is not. <laughs> I don't care who is listening. If you're going to protect that TV, uh, you don't listen anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's sure. an easy one. But I, I see that was a great example, though, of how, like, e even though, because you do hear that, especially I grew up in the projects, right? So to me, it's like, it's very easy to, like, not only me have said it plenty of times, but I've heard people say, yeah, he comes up in here, I'm going to light his ass up, right? And it, it's it, it sounds very casual uh, to oh, yeah. say that, but it's not what happens in reality. Well, I mean, okay, tough guy, you did that. But again, it, it just there's so many yeah just, just so many things that could go wrong in that scenario man that that, that just what's it worth to you now you yeah. turn that around and you know you talk about third party uh defending others right so now instead of being the home scenario and whatnot you're at a convenience store and you think you're witnessing a robbery because some dude's got another person down on the ground at gunpoint. Well, it turns out that that was actually a guy who legally defended himself with a firearm has got the other guy down on the ground. Now you're shooting at a guy who didn't start anything. I mean, there's, there's just, there's a lot in there in terms of what you've perceived, what you believe to be the truth, when you're going to put yourself in, in danger for other people, for yourself, for your kids. Um, you've got to work through those things. And yeah. you know, this type of training is something it's not the first class to tell people to go take, Oh, you bought yourself a gun, go do some force on force training. No, there's other things you got to learn first. Uh, but to a certain point to really be uh, prepared or to take yourself to that next level of being prepared as, as, as an armed defender, you should go take these classes because they're, they're going to force you not just to learn some tactics, uh, but they're going to force you to really do some soul searching to understand what it is that you, when you are going to act, when it's worth it to you, what you're willing to risk for what. And that's something that you, we talk about this in other self-defense courses, right? It's if you've made these decisions for yourself before you're ever in that type of scenario, now you default to what your answers are. 
If you're presented with these scenario, this scenario for the very first time and you haven't thought about these things, you're going to react a lot slower. This is actually what causes a lot of people to freeze in the moment is that they're now thinking and your stress levels are high. So your thinking process is actually going slower. You, we have a harder time under stress making high level decisions, but you're stuck going, what do I do? do is this right is this the right reaction and so that kind of training is is just critical for getting you to that next level of being prepared to handle your, yourself appropriately in those types of scenarios makes a ton of sense yeah um that's def- I, arguably like you said work your way up there but arguably that's something that not only i want to take advantage of but most people should uh to yeah. get ready for a potential real life situation so zo i wanted to ask uh, it's not just me. I want to get my wife out there involved. Um, you know, what you, What would you, is, if there, is there any variation in, in our lady listeners and, and something that they should keep in mind when it comes to not only maybe purchasing their first gun, but going through uh, training? It, would, would you just, would the recipe be the same as anybody who, who has a gun or is it slightly different for the ladies? Oh man, that's such a hard time answering this question because <laughs> I, I well, here's the thing, man, is, is I know what works for me. Yeah. Right. I, I found uh, the guns and the equipment that works for me. I found a carry method that works for me. I found uh, things that I enjoy doing on the weekends to help me with my skill development and those kinds of things. And so I would give uh, the ladies and anybody else uh, who's listening, who's thinking about it, say, slow down and start with understanding what your needs are. Okay. Um, from that, run away from anybody who's like, oh, you need X, Y, Z, and they're very absolute about it, right? Like, I, 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 if I could have a dollar for every time I was at a gun store and a lady went to the counter and said, hey, what? I need a pistol, and the guy behind the counter pointed at the 38 Special revol- uh, Revolver, no, just stop. <laughs> just stop that. Go away. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of options you know it's it's about finding the gun that fits you that works well for your hand size and your your body you know we talk about the we might have talked about this in the last show but i've said it a million times it's it's like buying shoes man you, you don't buy any shoes you got to make sure the shoes are the right size and that they're designed for the type of tasks so that you wear them for the things that you're going to be doing yeah. uh, there's many 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 handgun options so you've got to find something that's going to work that's going to interface well with you. Uh, number one, it has to be a reliable fire, firearm uh, because if it's not reliable and you can't rely on it to save your life, what's the point? Uh, right. But then it's got to be something that's going to work for you and your lifestyle, right? So it might be, for some people, it might be a smaller firearm. For some people, it might be a larger handgun. Uh, start there. Then we get into uh, carry methods and uh, you know, some, again, we get into what works for me and the way that I dress and whatnot may not work for somebody who wears a sundress uh, six days out of the week, right? So we've got some different considerations there and finding something that that works well for them. Uh, There's a lot of options. What I would suggest if you're getting started is um, there's some really, really good training schools that do a basic kind of introduction to defensive firearms courses uh, where you can go and you can try different things. they'll talk about different carry methods and ladies in particular, just because, you know, I just do not, for some reason, I have never really developed the desire to share the same fashion uh, choices that (laughs) some of the ladies do. 
Nah, in 2022? Uh, nah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I'm not, you know, if, if that's your thing or not your thing, I don't really care. You know, I mean, but they, they, we're just different, right? There, there's different body morphologies, right. uh, different different uh, attires that we wear, different clothing selections, those kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, there is a group called um, A Girl and a Gun. Uh, I believe they're nationwide, but we've got a pretty active chapter here in in the Austin area. And my suggestion would be get involved with them because those are going to be people who are into the whole gun culture thing, gun lifestyle thing, who are also women who understand the needs that are going to be probably more likely needs that ladies are going to have that I'm just not going to understand uh, or that I just don't know about. And so I, I hate to kind of just give blanket advice there. You're just going because it really depends on what, you need as an individual. And I say that to, to, uh, the fellows as well too, you know, what works for me? You know, I'm five foot nine. I'm not going to say my weight here because I need to lose a bunch of it, but I'm a pretty <laughs> hefty dude. And so with that, and I, you know, I wear cargo, uh, shorts or pants with a t-shirt over it pretty casual most of the time. And because of my size, my dress style, I can seal a full size handgun on the strong side of my hip every single day. It's not going to work for somebody who wears skinny jeans uh, and <laughs> weighs a buck twenty, you know, six and a half feet tall. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's going to be different. So you've got to find what works for you. Yeah, no, I think that was a great answer, uh, com- uh, conversely, for you. And even for the ladies, I think that's great advice, especially I didn't know there was a chapter for ladies. Uh, and I think that's a smart move. You're right. We don't, you know, have dresses. We don't, well, hopefully, come on, y'all. We, we got to be alpha males here. Uh, but we don't have dresses and, you know, they, they deal with the whole bra thing and all that good stuff. But that, that's actually great advice. So uh, definitely going to swing it by my wife. But I do want her to, uh, you know, be able to defend herself. I conversely want to teach my kids and my, my daughters. Um, but that's all the process, it sounds like. Um, I got one more question yeah. for you here. Go ahead. Sure, Sorry, Go for it. Oh, okay. No, and this is, you know, we have to gravitate, I guess, a little bit towards uh, towards Bitcoin, but I do want to give an example and a comparison here. So I'm not sure if you know what the beef initiative is, if you've even heard about it, but uh, it's- Beef like in cattle? Because I Correct. like beef, like steaks. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, and the and you know, there's there's a gentleman, uh, older gentleman in Texas Slim who came out of retirement, a sixth generation rancher. Uh, and he's basically has this initiative where like we need to decentralize the food, right? And and the the motto, the TLDR is go out and shake a rancher's hand, right? Like make sure you know where you're sourcing your meat from, where you're getting your meat from. But where I'm getting at is is that they've actually you know used not used that's a wrong term, but like they've embraced the Bitcoin community and the we decentralize the meat, we decentralize the food, we actually give you know real food from real cattle. And we get paid in Bitcoin. Now, crossing across to the gun community, you would think that sovereign money and sovereign defense would go together hand in hand, sort of like those two things go. Have you heard anything about, you know, the the gun community and Bitcoin? Is that even a thing? Is it besides the dabbling of... Okay. Is there good examples of that? Yeah, well, um, my uh, local gun store uh, actually has a was one of the first people to install one of the uh, Bitcoin ATM machines Ooh, inside okay. of the store <laughs> for a while. <laughs> um, I do believe I've never done it. I, I didn't get too deep into it, but I, I think you could even, you could even actually make your purchases with Bitcoin. Love um, it. Now, okay. granted that still has to go through 
to maintain his license and all that stuff. It has to go through the, the background check and all that process. And so it still gets logged and you got to fill out all that paperwork and whatnot. But the monetary transaction, I believe, can be done in Bitcoin. Uh, awesome. There are uh, other stores as well, too. Um, I've seen a couple pop up online that will you can buy accessories using Bitcoin and that kind of thing. So I'm seeing more of, of it being accepted as, as a uh, form of tender uh, in that community. Um, and to a certain extent, I mean, it's not really the same concept here, but there's a lot of places that will deal in cash still. And that, that, uh, at least to a certain extent, that's still very anonymous. Um, at least the transaction itself, right? There's certain transactions that aren't anonymous in their nature because they do have to have the background checks and all that good stuff. But, um, it's there. It's not as prevalent as I would like it to be. Uh, but it, it's, I've seen it. I don't know how rapidly it's spreading and it's definitely not as prevalent as I would like it to be. Uh, well, we got to work together to make that happen. So yeah, we, we got to st- yeah, start, start setting up, uh, either trainings where you pay with Bitcoin or, uh, there's actually a, a gentleman, he's doing this more in like, you know, food, uh, and, and restaurants and businesses, but it's called the Oshi app. And you could just basically walk in and, you know, set up within 10 minutes to accept Bitcoin. And then you can give like, basically coupons or incentives for people to pay with Bitcoin, 20% off, 25% off. Uh, but yeah, I was just wondering, this is happening in food for sure, uh, from the ranchers and the farmers all the way down to the regular taco shop. Uh, but it would be incredible. And I think it would go hand in hand with the gun community. So I was very Yeah, I like it. That. I like it. I'm, I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm, there may be some gunsmiths that I know that, that do that. I mean, obviously, peer-to-peer <laughs> still works, right? I mean... Yeah, because uh, yeah. we can still do private sales and that kind of thing, and we want to do it with Bitcoin. We are more than welcome to do whatever change form of tender we want to exchange. Yeah, just to be um, able to, you know, like we talk about just being able to like store the value and not, you know, be inflated away, right? Not have this money just be under the control uh, of government, right? So if you're like your experience, for example, just to use an easy example, you know, all the years that you stacked up learning, you know, how to how to you know work a gun, and you can train somebody you shouldn't be getting paid in money that could basically be inflated away, right? And can be melted away or is under the control of them, meaning that it's just worthless money. You're just getting paper, right? On the other hand, I could, similar to, you know, gold back in the gold standard, I could, you know, provide you this at this bearer instrument, right? This, this property that you have possession of and can do anything you want. I mean, you can liquidate it and get fiat for it, right? Absolutely, if you need to pay some bills. Uh, but for the most part, you can hold it there. And you can hold it for as long as you need to hold it and be able to transfer that over to your children and not lose the value of that wealth, of that time spent teaching somebody how to defend themselves. And once again, I just think it goes hand in hand, right? It's just one of those things. So when I get down there, if if you're game, man, I think we should uh, figure something out and try to get these two communities talking. You're giving me ideas because I'm actually working right now on on getting becoming a certified firearms trainer uh, myself. Yeah, man. I'm not looking at doing it for the money. I'm not looking for a career change. I'm looking at more to just be a better instructor because there's been a lot of people who've been asking me to, to, to teach them and those kinds of things. And I want to be able to do that. Uh, one of the uh, challenges that I've seen is, um, especially when it comes to self-defense, is the folks who are most likely to find themselves in a situation where they need to defend themselves are also the people who don't tend to have a lot of means. Um, and so being able to, to make that accessible, uh, to people of different financial situations and whatnot, is probably something that I'm going to be looking, 
uh, to do as well. And so you give me ideas here and kind of going, well, we don't necessarily have to deal in cash. There's other ways that we can do this. And maybe there, there's different ways to sponsor or making training available to um, you know, again, people who just people who are trying to survive, man, you know, that's, it's uh, yeah. And, and it's a perfect Bitcoin is a perfect community for that um, because yeah, every, it, it's literally the platform for um, the disenfranchised, not only around the, the world, but around, you know, here in the States, uh, to be able to basically even them, even kill the, the world, right? So all this credit bullshit and all this other stuff, Bitcoiners understand very well that they can, you know, buy a dollar's worth or they could buy, you know, $150,000 worth uh, and and they're in the same ballpark as the rich, right? There's no classes there that separate Bitcoiners. So yeah, you'll be surprised how many people would not only support, but would be willing to transact uh, this bearer asset to be able to get your skills. Um, There's actually something that I do in this podcast called uh, value for value. Right. And, and the, and the concept is, is, you know, my listeners never have to hear the bullshit advertisement and, and go through that revenue because they can literally stream me sets, which are increments of Bitcoin um, as they wish. So like you can send me two cents worth of Satoshi's if you want, or you can send me $150 worth of Satoshi's. And what that opens up is a, is a, is an even playing field where you can donate to the show and not have to, you know, there's no middleman in between that to take the cut. There's no Spotify to take a piece of it. There's no Visa taking 2.5. So in your example, you, you, you give somebody an invoice, they have to pay it in Visa. Well, 2.5 goes to Visa and then the rest goes to you. With Bitcoin, 100% of it goes to you. And then you can choose to liquidate whenever you want. And I know you're not doing it for the money, but it's just an example of how you remove that middle person and it allows you to now provide more value to the people that you're training because, you know, you're basically getting the value up front and they're getting to you direct. Uh, but we can talk about it offline for sure. Um, yeah, man. And it's something that, you know, the, 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 the farmers and the ranchers have taken very serious as of late uh, for good reason because of all the shitty food that's out there. And, you know, ranchers know this best. Uh, but, you know, it, I think the gun community would just be the next logical step. And I think Texas is the place to do it, of course. Uh, so one of those things we'll talk about. But. Yeah, well, when you get out here, man, let's let's look into all those things and um, yeah, man, get your shooting and yeah, that'll yeah. be fun. I, I could be your uh, your first client if you're prepared, man, and I will pay in Bitcoin, a hundred percent. That that's all I pay with, actually. So <laughs> I mean, I, I'll, I'll gladly accept Bitcoin Bitcoin donations any time of the week. So you know, just give me a holler and send me some Bitcoin and. You know, I'll yeah, be your man. friend. All good. Okay, I, I, I'm about to let you. <laughs> that's funny. I'm about to let you uh, 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 plug in your blog, which is excellent, by the way. But on that same level, we can even get you a uh, a, a Bitcoin donation button on that blog, so people could actually hit you up. But Zo, it, it's been extremely fantastic. I don't want this to be the last time, and nor do I think it'll be the last time. Um, and thank you for coming on here on the fly. Uh, please let the listeners know where they can, you know, absorb all the knowledge that you have to give and where they can follow you. Yeah, for sure. Um, the easiest way to get a hold of me or to find any things that I'm working on and, and tinkering with and uh, the way that I like to, to kind of say it here is, is come learn with me because I'm on a journey of learning too and just sharing what I'm learning along the way. Mm. Um, but regardless of where you're at in your journey, if there's things that I can teach you or you want my opinion on things, um, I'm always happy to share them. And the best place to get a hold of me is on my blog, which is Uncle Zoe. Uh, U-N-C-L-E-Z-O dot com and from there you've got links to uh, social media which I'm most active on Twitter I know we spend a lot of time uh, sending 
DMs and uh, uh, shit posting. Can I say that? Shit posting. Yeah, hell yeah, yeah especially okay, in the Bitcoin right. community. That's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I always forget, you know, regulations, FCC, all that good stuff. But you know, whatever. Screw the man. Yeah, um, fuck him. So yeah, uh, I'm, I'm active on Twitter. There's a Facebook link on there that uh, sometimes I'm on. I know some people uh, connect with me over there and then also on Instagram as well too. I've got a link to a really terrible uh, YouTube channel as well too that I haven't done much with. May I'm getting nudged by various people to do more video stuff. So I'm going to maybe put out a little bit more video content. But yeah, the blog is the best place, man. I've got tons of information there from anything that you want to know regarding uh, hunting, competition, self-defense, lots of pistol stuff, lots of rifle stuff, uh, everything from literally a, a small pocket-sized 9mm handgun to rifles that can shoot out to a mile uh, and everything in between. So uh, come check it out. And if you have a question, do not hesitate. Hit me up on any of the social media platforms. I do respond to every single thing that comes my way. Unless you happen to say something that's completely moronic, then I'll probably just laugh at you. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, there are no stupid questions, especially when it comes to this. Uh, if it's Especially if it's gun-related, guys. I, I, I do take this very, very seriously. I want to share knowledge. I want you guys to have the best information available to make the best decisions for yourself, your safety, and your family. And there's just so much, uh, I'm not even going to get into the propaganda that we're hearing right now with the gun bans and everything that's there and sensationalism. But even without that, there's a lot of myths that uh, I've stumbled across and kind of had to learn uh, the hard way, not because I hurt myself, but more because I've made bad financial decisions in my journey to learn myself. So if I can help you uh, avoid any of those, ask away any gun-related questions, I'm happy to share what I know. Yeah, no, and uh, I definitely vouch for Zoe on that every time, although it's not been many times, but every time I've needed anything, Zoe's been here, including this episode here. So uh, definitely check out Zoe. Zoe, I appreciate you, brother. Um, for the listeners, that wraps up episode 69. Uh, as I was telling Zoe a little while ago, 69? 69. Isn't that some shit? <laughs> it wasn't on purpose, though. But <laughs> uh, 69, y'all. But like I was telling uh, Zoe, the best way to uh, contribute to the show and show love to the show is just to stream with some sets. My favorite way to do it is on Fountain app. You can check out, just like every other podcasting app, you could subscribe to the show and you can send us from a penny all the way up to whatever you feel the value you're getting. There was a ton of value in this episode. For video, you can catch us on Bitcoin TV. That's our favorite place for you to go. That's the up-and-coming platform that Bitcoiners use to share video. Uh, we are also available on the legacy platforms. So if you want to check us out on YouTube, you want to check us out on Spotify, the best way to support there, the old school way, rate, subscribe, share. It really helps us. It helps us go a long way. Uh, but if you've never tried it, definitely check out the Bitcoin products and uh, stream us some love. That wraps up episode 69. I appreciate you, Zoe. I appreciate y'all. Catch y'all next week. All right. Later. Thanks, sir.